Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. It is really good to be here. This was home for myself and my family for so many years, so it's always a pleasure for me to be back here speaking and bringing some of God's Word to you this morning, and we're going to do that by finishing our Summer Psalm series. So we've been moving through just different psalms, different preachers have had the license to preach from a psalm uh, that they would want, and so I'm going to do that this morning by looking at Psalm 18. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can open it. I'll just be using selected verses today, but it is Australia Day long weekend. Who enjoys a long weekend? Yeah, we all love a long weekend. This doesn't feel like the most productive of long weekends, I reckon, because lots of people are gearing up for school to start back again. Who's excited about school going back on Tuesday? Like 30th of November. I've had five kids at home on holidays since the end of November, and I love them to bits, but man, I love the routine that the school year brings to my family and brings to myself as well. So we're really excited about that. And so I'm going to bring a message today that for some of you, it's going to feel funny because you've just come to the end of a long holiday. You're going back to school, maybe some of you are returning to work aligned with your kids if you have kids going to school this week. And I'm going to talk about a spiritual discipline that's different uh, than we often talk about as a discipline, but it's the discipline of rest. And so on a long weekend, as some of you are finishing holidays, you might think, I've got this all sorted in my life right now. This is not the time of year. I need a message on rest. I'm ready to go. But hey, if you want to give me a reason to think about my next holiday, you have complete permission. Anyone like that? I finish a holiday and I need to know when my next one's coming. Just it kind of compels me to do well through the next season. I've always booked the next one at the end of the last one. And so I can tell you right now what my holidays look like in the coming year. But uh, that's just how I'm wired. So some of you are on the end of holidays. Others of you here, I reckon, are thinking to yourself, if I see one more person on social media complain about how tough it is to be returning to work or school after like a five-week holiday, I'm going to go crazy. No, don't show your hands on that. Maybe you're just thinking to yourself, I haven't had a day off. I haven't had a holiday. I haven't had a rest since Bob Hawke was the Prime Minister of Australia. Well, if that's the case, you need to like stop any distraction around you and listen to what I've got to say today because this is an important message. And this isn't just a good idea that I want to bring you. This comes very much from the heart of God and the heart of his word where he encourages us in the spiritual discipline of rest. Or if you want a good hashtag for your Instagram account, you can say that the preacher talked today on the theology of holidays. I preached this at Ormo last week and some of my congregation came up to me, friends of mine. They know me way too well. I took some long service leave last year. We did a couple of trips as a family. And one of my friends came up and said, that was a good sermon, Andrew, but it should have been a great sermon because I don't know anybody that has put more hours into researching this very topic than you have in the last 12 months. So you can expect some gold today based on my own personal experience. But before we get to rest, I want to look firstly at the start of Psalm 18. And it tells us before we even get into the words of the psalm about who wrote it and why he wrote it. It says that it's a psalm or a song of David. And it was written when he uh, was rescued from uh, Saul and those that were pursuing him. So it's placed for us at a particular time in David's life 
when he'd been rescued from a significant period of turmoil and trauma in his own life. And we don't know exactly where it's placed, but if you read the story of David, and you can do that through the books of 1 and 2 Samuel in the scriptures, you can hear a little bit about the turmoil of what David's life looked like. David had a lot of highlight moments. There was a moment where he flung a stone, knocked down the giant Goliath. There was a moment where he stood there with all of his brothers and the prophet professed and proclaimed over him that he was the next anointed king of Israel. Great moment to be affirmed in front of your family that God had chosen you to be the next king. David had some great highlight moments, but David's life was also littered with great turmoil. You see, there was a king already in place, a guy by the name of Saul. And Saul started to notice that everything David did started to turn to gold. If David went to battle, the battle was usually won. If David, uh, you know, walked into a public place, people were attracted to David. Everybody loved David. He was gaining a following. And so Saul, the king, started to build up a jealousy in his heart towards this young guy by the name of David. It tells us in the scriptures at one point that Saul's so upset at David that he grabs a spear at a dinner party and tries to pin him against the wall. That's not a great moment in life, is it? David, fearing for his life, ends up fleeing from Saul. And the scripture talks about all the places he went and the way that Saul continued to pursue David, trying to take his life. I reckon the pinnacle of this story comes in 1 Samuel 22, where it tells us that David, in fear for his life, flees to a cave. Let me read a bit from the scripture to you. It said that David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him from there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented. Now, there's a good preacher. There's three Ds, right? Distress, discontent, and uh, debt. I can't even remember it. All those in debt, distress, or discontent gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Here's a guy that knows that the call on his life is to be the leader of the nation. God had spoken these words. What great moment in his life. And now he finds himself in a cave. Not surrounded with noble, upright people. Surrounded by all those in debt, distress or discontent. I wonder if in this moment the cave for David wasn't just a literal experience but was also a great metaphor for how his life felt. Overwhelmed, surrounded, not seeing a way forward, not seeing a way out. And I could imagine in this moment, sitting in the cave, that David penned the first part of Psalm 18. Listen to what David says in Psalm 18 from verse 4. He says, The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me, and the snares of death confronted me. And in my distress, see, it wasn't just the 400 around him that were in distress. David, too, was in distress. It says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and I cried to God for help. I mean, these are fairly emotive words. These are fairly strong words that David expresses. Maybe as the spear went sailing past him and, and stuck in the wall behind where he was sitting, he could speak the words, the cords of death entangled me. See, David was living a life where he feared for his safety, where he was disappointed that life wasn't working out as he had planned, where he was hiding away for the very fact that he needed to to survive. But in this moment, he's unable to find perspective, and he cries out to God. And so the cave isn't just a literal reality, a physical reality of where David lives. It's a great metaphor for the life that David had and the way that David was feeling. And the Psalms are so full of a great emotive language that 
that in, diff, in, a, in a way different to other parts of the scripture, just connect with the deepest parts of the human heart and the human spirit. But the song goes on, and David says this from verse 16. It says, he reached down, that is God, he reached down from on high and he took a hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. See, Psalms weren't always written in one sitting. You'd think if they were all sitting in one sitting that the person writing them had problems. Often they, they navigated or they charted a journey of someone's life. And so David, in this psalm, gives us a snapshot of what life looked like. Here he is sitting in a cave with those in debt and distress and discontent. He himself in great distress, fearing for his life. The only words that he can find in his spirit to describe that circumstance are you know, words of death and destruction and despair. And he says, in that moment, sitting in that cave, I cried out to God for help and God came and he lifted me out of the deep waters and he led me to a spacious place. I love those two words, spacious place. I can't even remember the circumstance or the context at the time, but I remember reading this psalm in a devotional moment some years ago now. And for whatever reason, I was in a season of life where I too was feeling really overwhelmed, really closed in by everything that was happening. And I have moments like that. I'm sure we all have moments like that. You know, I go through seasons right now. We've got five kids, and I love my kids to bits, mate. They are great kids. You know, like we, we are blessed by the five kids we've got. But there are days where I feel like the balance of life goes from work, which has all its challenges and, and everything happening there, to home. And I've got to admit this, and please don't play this back to Chrissy, but some days it's easier to go to work than to be at home. There's a whole bunch of you sitting, staring straight ahead, going, don't acknowledge that's true. Don't acknowledge that's true. Because I don't tell Chrissy that. I come home and go, I've had the worst day at work. I've had a big day at work. I just need to sit on the couch for a while. No, I don't do that very often. But the reality is, some days you go from work to home and there's five kids and there's homework and there's football practice and there's dinners to be cooked and there's nappies to be changed and you know, the back fence has fallen down and the dog's gotten out and whatever it is for you. But it just feels like life is one relentless thing to the next. And I know sometimes for me that, that just rhythm of life gets so overwhelming and in one of those moments, I read this psalm and those two words just jumped out to me, that God leads us to spacious places. I want to ask the question this morning, where do you go when life becomes overwhelming? Where do you go when you start to lose perspective because there's too much going on? Where do you go when there's significant conflict in your life, either with yourself or with others or in your workplace or in your family? Where do you go when stress and anxiety seem to be the rhythm that drives every moment of your day. You see, when I close my eyes and when I think about the places I go when I need to find a, a refreshment to my soul, it's to the spacious place. I love going to the water. There's something about when you get to the water. Some of you will be just like me. Who, who loves going to the water? You know that moment where you just get to that spacious place, whatever it is for you, and you think to yourself, the air here is different. I've just breathed something into my spirit that's brought some life into my spirit. And for some of you, it's the beach. You just love going to the beach and sitting on the beach. I love sitting on rocky headlands watching waves crash. And the bigger the waves and the fiercer the ocean, the better it is. I also love going to the mountains. Love being up in the mountains. 
Usually mountains where I can catch a gondola to the top, not have to walk up there myself, but I just love being in the mountains. It's just there's something in the physical environment that changes the sense and perspective of your spirit. You see, I reckon we need to rediscover in life the discipline of rest and the discipline of going to the spacious place to allow God to do something good in us that doesn't happen when we live life at a constant rhythm, when life feels like we're living in the cave. So I want to say a couple of things this morning about the spacious place. And the first thing is this, the spacious place is a place of rest. And this is where the theology comes in. You see, we live in a culture, I reckon, that that values busyness, but not just values busyness, that almost doesn't give permission for us to talk about anything other than being busy. I can't remember the last time after a service at church, I walked up to one of my friends and said, what did you get up to yesterday? I cannot remember the last time that they said to me, well, ignored the kids, woke up late, sat on the couch in my pajamas, had to go get something from the mailbox, so put some better pants on, emptied the mail, sat on the couch, made a cover, fell asleep, left my coffee cup on the floor, went to bed, early night. I can't remember that conversation. They've probably had those days, but even if they have those days, they don't want to admit it. We, we find language to try and justify every moment of time, don't we? So even on those days, we don't like to tell people we've had those days. We like to say, well, busy day, lots of stuff to do at home. Some tasks to do out the front, so, so I got dressed, went and sorted all that stuff out, and you know, just some domestic things that needed dealing with, and whew, big week, fell asleep pretty early. There's something built into our psyche that says we can't ever acknowledge or admit downtime. We don't want to do it. And I want to encourage you, though, that there's something built into the very fabric of who you are, not just who you are, but the way God's created you to be that actually encourages the discipline of rest and of downtime. You see, this goes back to the very beginning of Scripture in the creation account. Let me read from Genesis 2, verse 1. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were, create, were completed in all their vast array. And so by the seventh day, God had finished the work. So let's understand this. The work was completed and the work was finished. And so by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested. What did he do? Woke up late, sat on the couch in his pyjamas, checked his Instagram feed, made a cup of coffee, had a little snooze on the couch, checked out the new shows on Netflix. God rested from all his work and all the work of creating that he had done. See, not only did God complete his work and finish his work and then rest on the seventh day, he then looked at the seventh day and blessed it and made it holy. Uh, a few, um, a bit of season of time later, God hands to his people. A group of people had just been led out of slavery in the land of Egypt, had no rhythm of life. You see, their whole value was in their productivity. So there's a whole nation of people that only know one thing, worth and value connected to productivity. And God rescues them through this miraculous event known as the Exodus and the parting of the sea. We're going to preach through that right through the next term. It's going to be fabulous. But God takes them into the desert and hands them these Ten Commandments and says, look, you've had a, a rhythm of life that just suggests your only value is in what you produce and in what you do. You were slaves in another nation. Let me give you ten things to help you start doing life well. 
Guys, I'm going to tell you about how we should relate, and here's a few things that you need to do in that relationship. Don't worship other gods. You know, don't use my name in vain. Now let me tell you about how to treat each other. You shouldn't murder. You should actually value relationships. Don't commit adultery. And so the fourth command, he says this. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So remember the seventh day, the day that God in creation rested and then blessed it and called it holy. God says to his people, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gate. Now the alien in this context was just people, foreign nations, foreigners that had come to live within the context of the household or the people of Israel. So in other words, no one, no, no one attached to you should work on this day. It goes on to say, and the reason for this, well, it says, well, here's the reason. For in six days, God created the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I want you to get a picture of God's heart here. You see, a lot of us think that faith and religions are just a list of things that we've got to do. Well, let me add one more to-do thing to your list. Thou shalt take a day off. You shall take a day off. Hear the heart of God here. I actually want you to take some time out. I actually want you to have a rest. I actually want you to enjoy some time with your family. I actually want you to enjoy some time with me. I want you to enjoy some recreation. I want you to have some fun. I want you to get some sleep. Have a day off. What a great commandment. Have a day off. It could be written like this. Thou shalt do nothing. And the reason is he's woven into the very fabric of creation. God himself, in the midst of creation, stopped working, looked at all that he had done and rested. This wasn't some add-on. We don't talk about the six days of creation and then God had a day off. We talk about the seven days of creation, which encompasses rest. You see, the seven days of creation encompasses rest. God himself, the creator of all things, decides that it's really worthwhile to have a rest. Yet some of us think that the world's going to stop spinning if we do. So why stop and rest? One of the reasons is we're asked to model God himself and realize that woven into the very fabric, not just of how he's done creation, but of how he's created you, is the need to rest. Because without it, things can so easily get out of whack. It's what makes bragging about busyness so crazy. We don't brag about the other nine commandments when we get them wrong, but we feel like it's okay never to admit that we stopped and we rested. Like it's a little less spiritual. But I want you to hear this morning, this is a big deal to God. I just want to make a short comment here before I lose some of you. Because today is not me advocating slackness or laziness in any form. You see, Sabbath only makes sense in terms of work. God worked for heart for six days, and I imagine pretty hard and pretty relentlessly. And then he rested. You see, I think one of the reasons in our culture we talk about busyness all the time is we never want to be named as the opposite. We never want anyone to call us a bludger. See, no one likes being thought of as a bludger. And today what I'm not saying is that busyness in itself is evil. It's not. It's a reality in my life and it's a reality in most of your lives. However, busyness that loses the rhythm of rest is the problem. Today is not that the alternative to busyness is bludging. I want to suggest that the alternative to busyness is balance.
And some of you need to find the balance. See, God commands us to rest because it's part of the rhythm of how he's created us. I think there's two other things that really come into the reason God calls us to rest. See, the Israelites have been saved out of a culture that placed their value and their worth in productivity. It says that they were enslaved by the Egyptians to, to hard labor. They were building bricks and doing a whole bunch of stuff. Their, their whole worth was linked to their productivity. See, one of the things that happens when we build a good rhythm of rest into our lives is we're reminded that our value and our worth is not in our productivity. And this is a big deal for some of us because we've always felt that our worth to people, our worth to our family, our worth to society, our worth in the church is about how busy we keep and about how much we do. I'm not here to say that what we do doesn't matter because it does. God's gifted us, God's called us, God's given us things to do. But your worth is never found in your productivity. Your worth and your value is found full stop simply in the fact that you're a child of God. And if you start to believe that things are going to stop if you stop, you start to get out of perspective the fact that your worth is not found in your productivity. Your worth is found simply in who God views you to be. More than that, if you don't learn to stop, you start to believe that the whole world revolves around you. See, one of the gifts of the day off, one of the gifts of the Sabbath day is a reminder that God is God and he's in control and you're not. You see, all the cultures around just drove this endless productivity, but God says, I want you to stop a day and in part of that, I want you to trust me to fill the gaps. See, the day of rest isn't just good for you, the day of rest doesn't just remind you where your worth and your value is found. The day of rest actually forces you to place God back in the place that he needs to be and reminds you of the place where you sit and says, God, I'm going to trust you in the gap. Because right now, some of you don't stop because you think the whole world's going to stop turning if you do. And maybe you need a Sabbath rest, not just because you need a good sleep, but, but you need a little bit of a reset of your own sense of self-importance. See, rest does good things to our spirit. Rest places God back in the place that he needs to be. See, some of us are living against the way that we're made and everybody around us knows that rest isn't just a good idea for you. I want to suggest that rest is a good idea for your family. It's a good idea for your work colleagues. It's a good idea for the people that have to put up with you in the supermarket line at the end of a big day. And right now, some of, some of your friends, some of your family, some people sitting around you in church, there's some of you here that they're looking straight ahead because they're thinking, man, we love dad more. We, we love hanging out with mum more. We love serving with this person a whole lot more when they've had a bit of a rest because when they haven't, they're just atrocious to be around. See, rest isn't just good for you. It's good for the community of people around you because you lose perspective when you don't bring in the spiritual discipline of rest. And that's the second thing I want to say about the spacious place. The spacious place isn't just a place of rest. The spacious place is a place of perspective. Rest gives us a brand new perspective. I know in myself when life gets too crazy that I can start to lose perspective. Let me share a couple of things and maybe no one else is going to understand this illustration, but I'm going to suggest that a few of you will. You ever had one of those days, and I've had many of these, where 
from the get-go, everything's there. You wake up on the wrong side of the bed. You wake up earlier than you wanted to. Maybe a baby's cry or maybe the neighbor started their lawnmower or who knows. But you wake up early and you run all day. If you've got kids, maybe it's, there's a whole bunch of stuff that your kids demand. You know, two days to school starts and their school shoes are falling apart and they forgot to tell you that they spilt their water bottle over their computer and you found out there's a bill that you forgot to pay and so the council's coming out to turn your water off at 12 o'clock if you haven't paid the bill and you race out and the dog's got out or the dog's chewed the neighbours, whatever, and you're just racing, racing, racing and then you get phone calls from work and there's some emails and you just find the tension continues to build all day. And it just goes on and on and on. There's no downtime. There's no time to stop. Seven o'clock at night. Now you're trying to feed everybody in your house. You're trying to look after yourself. There's some jobs to be done. There's a phone call that you didn't get to that day. So you're making the phone call and you're running crazy. And now it's 9.30 at night and the last child has fallen asleep. And you're just done. And your wife walks in, who's actually been arm in arm, like comrade in this whole day with you. And she asked very nicely for you to do a very simple thing. And you're done. And there's no one else around. And so you turn the wrath of the day onto her request for a cup of coffee. And it's like, I do everything for everyone around here. I'm sick of... Ever done that? There's no one else to take it out on. So you take it out on the person that least deserves it. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that. No, I'm not. Or maybe you've just had a terrible day at work. Maybe it's just one of those days that you just wish you had a different job. Everything went wrong from the get-go. It's the first day back at school, you're a teacher, and that, you copped that family in your class that nobody else wants in their class, and that parent that has a logical request at every moment, and that parent whose kid never does every, anything wrong, even though they're the biggest pain in your class, and you're just done already, and you just get into the car, and your kids get in the car with you, and people have just been at you all day, and, and you're child says, oh, I left my pencil case at school. And man, you turn on that child like they've just admitted drug smuggling to you in that moment. And you say, when are you going to start acting like a five-year-old should act? (laughs) Or you're in customer service and someone rings up and something's gone wrong and they ring up to make a complaint. And the person on the phone's actually being very reasonable. They've got a good reason to make a complaint and they're being very nice about it. But you are sick of complaints and you are sick of complainers and you're gonna tell this person on the phone what you think of their complaint and what you think of them as a person for making it. And they just cop both barrels and you just go over the top in your angst towards them. Has anybody ever lost perspective like one of the examples I've just given? Maybe you need a holiday. Maybe you need a day off. Maybe you need a sleep. You see, spacious places are places of perspective. See, right now with five young kids in our family, there are days where for Chrissy and I, it just feels like life. You can add your own story to this, right? Mine's just around family. Yours could be around your workplace or around the demands of the volunteer associate, whatever it is. But there's just days where... This woman that I love, that I married, man, I just feel like there's so much going on. We might be in each other's presence, but we're not actually connecting and not having a lot of fun sometimes. And, you know, it just feels like we get to the end of the day and finally we get that little moment when we could be together and this bonehead of a husband falls asleep within the first three minutes of sitting on the couch 
And it's gone. The moment's gone. We wake up the next morning and away we go again and we start all over again. And suddenly it feels like marriage is just a little bit harder work right now than it was. And it's not as much fun as I thought it was going to be in this season. And then suddenly someone gifts us 45 minutes to have a coffee. And we go and there's no kids and we're having a coffee and suddenly it's like, I know why I married you. Isn't this the best? I just love doing life with you. Man, perspective is a powerful thing. Perspective is a powerful thing. Maybe you're in the middle of a conflict in a workplace and you walk out the door and go for a walk along the waterfront or around the property or around the block or you just do something to get some space. And suddenly the way you deal with that conflict, the conflict hasn't gone away, but the way you deal with it's different. Maybe you've just had a really long year at work and that holiday comes up and you've written your resignation letter and you're sick of this industry and you don't want to do this ever again. I've had some moments like that. And not that I got sick of what I'm doing, but there's some moments I've got to the end of the year and I've stepped off the platform at Ormo and I've said to Chrissy, that's it. That's a full stop on the body of preaching work from Andrew Main. I've got nothing more to say. I've got nothing more to input. I've got no more gold. I've got no more value. There's nothing fresh in me. I'm done. I've got, I've got no more messages in me. They need to find someone else to do this because I've got nothing left. And then I go on holidays and I sit in my camping chair and I stare into the distance and I think about nothing. It's possible. I do it for hours on end at holidays. Kids are fighting in front of me and I don't even see it. <laughs> it's nine o'clock at night. We probably should feed the kids, honey. <laughs> By day eight of my holiday, right, I'm walking down the beach and I'm preaching messages to the seagulls. Man, I've got just a fire in my spirit. There's just a freshness in me. There's, I'm just ready to go. I'm ready to come back. I've, I've had some space. I actually got to have a conversation with my family. I've had some recreation. I've had some fun. And I'm ready to go. Like, I've got the best job in the world. Let's do this. 2019. Come on, Gateway. It's going to be a great year, isn't it? Yeah. Whew. What changed? I had a holiday. See, perspective is a powerful thing. Perspective is built into the very way that God created us. I haven't met anyone yet that doesn't need sleep. And we all know the power of sleep. We all know that some things in life are better the next morning after we had a good sleep the night before. So why take a rest? Why take a holiday? Why have a day off? Why start prioritising some time that you don't have to account for or make excuses for or... or pass off as busyness. Why is this an important discipline? One, because it's the way God's created you to be. Two, because it reminds you that your worth is not found in your productivity. Three, it reminds you that God is God and you are not. And four, it gives you a brand new perspective to continue doing the things that God has called you to do. Let's go back to the words of David. Let's look at what the journey looked like for David. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me and the snares of death confronted me. And in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to God from help, for help. And he reached down from on high and he took a hold of me and he drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place he rescued me because he delighted in me 
2019 as we finish our summer psalm series, as we finish what for some of you is the end of the summer holiday, I want to encourage you this year, find your spacious place and go there often. So my response today is an incredibly practical one, and it's this. Go home. I, 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 it, it's not a spiritual response in this morning, I need you to come down and get on your knees and confess the way you've got this wrong. It's a practical response. For some of you today, you need to go home, you need to get out your diary. Maybe you need to add some things there. Maybe you need to add a holiday in this year. Maybe your family needs you to add a holiday in for their sake this year. I've got friends my age, they've got kids at home, and they keep saying, I'm working really hard so I can take my family on that great holiday we've always planned. Problem is they've been telling me that for 10 years. Their kids have only got three years left in the house and they've never actually had any fun at recreation time together. Maybe you need to go and actually write in your diary, holiday. Maybe you need to go and, and, and actually reduce some of the commitments that mean that you can have a day off. See, in the scriptures, people's day off, it was about connection with family. It was about rest and recreation. It was about being with God's people and connecting with God. And you've been running so relentlessly that you've got no rhythm in your life of rest. And the most spiritual thing you can do today is delete a few things from your diary. I was reflecting with my, one of my good friends last week. He said to me, you know, one of the challenges we have is we get a new perspective and we start to tone things down and then we start to realise all the space we've got so we fill it up with more stuff than we let go of. Maybe the greatest thing you have to do is find a new balance and a new rhythm in your life so the rhythm of rest becomes a regular part of what you do. It's not just going to be good for you, it's going to be good for everybody around you. It's the way God's created you to be. I'm going to get the team to come and join me. What I want us to do, can we all just jump on our feet this morning? What I want us to do this morning, just before we sing, is I'm going to invite the band just to sing over us for a moment, just to play over us for a moment. And I'd love you just to take a minute, just where you are, because I know when you walk out of this moment, you're going to get overwhelmed again by all the stuff you've got to do. But while you're here, while the words of my message are still resonating in your spirit, while there's an openness in you to say, well, God, what is it you need to say to me today? Why don't you just pray that prayer? God, what do I need to receive from this? What do I need to hear from this? Maybe you have a great rhythm and a great balance in this area. Well, if that's the case, high five, cheer you on. Start sharing that story with others. But for those where this is out of balance, I encourage you just as the band plays over us, would you just say, God, what is it you need to say to me? And what is it that I need to do? Don't leave this just in a moment and a response. Leave this to something practical. Get into your diary today. Get into the annual calendar today. Do something practical to start building in the very, very important spiritual discipline of rest. Father God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, just speak right now. Lord, compel those who need to be compelled to make some changes. God, this isn't just going to be good for them. Actually, God, for some people here today, the health and the future of their family depends on this decision. God, for those that need to find the balance so they're reminded 
that their value is in who they are before you, not in what they do and what they produce. God, compel us to make the changes we need to make. I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.